You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, we've been talking about our church's DNA. And this has been, uh, I think, one of the most important series that we've ever uh, walked into as a church family. Because, you know, when you go through 25 years of church history as one pastor, and you, you journey with your church through the ups and downs, through the understanding of, you know, denomination and the emphasis on some of the things that oftentimes we find that rise to the top and become issues in the church that cause friction and, and delusionment. When you, when you go through all that and, you're, and you just survive it, really, together. Isn't it fun to just survive? Isn't it great? You come out on the other side and you say, wow, now I think we're getting a clearer picture of the church. And, it, you, you know, I don't know that a pastor can do that without staying. You just got to stay through the learning process. That's what's so great about that first song we sang, sanctified and uh, rather justified, sanctified, glorified. That, that's really, that's the story of the Christian life. You know, you're saved and then there's this journey called sanctification. Then one of these days we're glorified. But until we are glorified and see Jesus face to face, we're constantly growing. And we said that we're not looking so much at our individual lives. We do a lot of that. And that's sometimes why we end up coming to church. We come to church because we want to get something out of it. Or, you know, uh, we, we, we want to, you know, enjoy this hour and a half of, of corporate worship and, and then, you know, kind of go back out into to the world and, and do our thing. We're not talking about that. We're talking about what is Gospelite's church family? Who are we when somebody walks into this building? What is the message that they receive? Is it, is it have anything to do with dress? Does it have anything to do with a, a, what kind of version they walk in with? Does it have anything to do with the name of the church? Anything to do with that? Or is it, and, and we don't have time to, to review, but is it what we said last week was that we welcome without judgment? Are we a welcoming church? The DNA of Gospel Light is, we discovered last week, and I don't have time to review the entire message. I encourage you to listen to it on our, on our podcast. Very helpful. Oh, by the way, if you need, thank you guys, you hung in there with me. If you need a worship guide, raise your hand and, and, and they'll get one to you. Very important. Worship guides are such a helpful thing, and they have the Gideon insert as well. So please get one of those. Thank you, guys. Here's, here's summing up last week's message if you were not here and did not get to listen to the, out, uh, the, uh, the podcast. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what you have, no matter what you look like, Gospelite welcomes you without judgment. And, and you say, wow, that's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a pretty big statement there. Well, there's a 40-minute message that goes along with that. And so as we considered all of the scripture, we understood in a, in a, in a powerful way how our church has kind of come through some of the judgment that often Christians offer to people who are not just like us, or even sometimes it come, comes across as not as, as good as us. And we discovered that really what the Christian life is all about is you're better than me. <laughs> but for the grace of God, it's, it's, it's not about superiority. It's about, it's about humility. So we welcome without judgment. Then today we're going to talk about this, that, that our DNA is that we love. And we just don't love. We love without condition. We're going to talk today about our church family corporately becoming a church that truly adopts this as who we are at our core. Our willingness to do this 
will and has been put to the test. Because the book of James tells us that we will all fall in many ways. That's exactly right. In other words, so uh, me disappointing you and, and you disappointing someone else is not a maybe. It's inevitable. It's inevitable. Isn't that good? Kind of if you're thinking about joining our church, I just told you that we're going to let you down. It's kind of good coming in, isn't it? And it's, it's good to know that coming in, you already know that my prospective pastor will let me down. He's not perfect. He, he, and at times, he'll, he'll need my love and forgiveness. And at times, you'll need mine. And it's just kind of how family goes. I've come to learn. And so we really are saying to one another this morning that we are going to love without condition. And if we'll learn this, we'll fill the building ten times on Sunday. We'll have to, we won't know where to put the people. Because this is not what church has become to be known as. And yet it's what it's all about. And so we go to 1 Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 13 and we find that there's this whole chapter dedicated to the concept of love. The whole chapter. And then we're real familiar with that, but then I went on to discover that 1 John chapter 3 rivals 1 Corinthians 13. I've just never said it like that. I almost feel bad to say it, but it's true. I mean, if you read 1 John 3, you might be more impressed with love than you were in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But it's no wonder that the final verse in 1 Corinthians 13 says this. It says, faith, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is Love. Love is the greatest thing. I mean, faith, it's a good thing. Hope, great thing. Love, the greatest thing. I mean, it just nothing compares to it. Now, those are good things, and we need those things, but no, we don't need those things without love. Now, love is a popular word, but love is also a misunderstood word. Love is also a misused word. But love is a powerful word. Love is a biblical word. Love is a word that is used over and over and over and over again in the New Testament. And the word is a part of our core this morning. I'm proposing to our church after 25 years that we are coming to a place where we understand this word is a major part of who we are. The Bible has a lot to say about love. What love can do to repair a broken marriage. What love can do to mend a severed relationship. What love can do to heal a struggling family. For example, in Scripture, Romans chapter 13, verse 8 says that love is a debt worth having. There's a lot of things you don't want to owe, a lot of people you don't want to owe, but there's absolutely nothing wrong with with being in debt to everyone in this area of love. Look at it in, in Scripture. It says, oh, no man, anything except... Uh, Sorry, I forgot, I forgot one thing. Don't owe man anything but to love each other. For the one who loves another is fulfilled the law. And then the Bible says that Ephesians 4, 2 teaches that love fuels family harmony. Something that oftentimes I find in in our society today, even in our Christian culture, there's so much tension and and even uh, growing hatred in the home. As, As much as I hate to admit that as a counselor, I find that, man, there's just a lot of... Uh, of tension in the home and, and sleeping on the sofa and kids that don't come out of their rooms. And what does scripture say in Ephesians 4 too? It says, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. 
just an enormous amount of patience and an enormous amount of gentleness. And then humility that says, look, I, man, look, I, I'm not judging you. I love you and it's okay and we'll get through this. Uh, Colossians 2, 2 talks about love binding our families together. I love the way this scripture says it. It says that we are, we are, our hearts are encouraged because we are knit together in love. We're knit together. I mean, it's, we're inseparable. We, we love one another and therefore we are, we are binded together. 1 Peter 4, 8 teaches us that love keeps us from focusing on our family's failures. We're not always pointing out the negative. It's not always the kids are hearing what they don't do and how, you know, how bad we are. And no, no, look at what scripture teaches. Above all, above everything else, keep loving one another earnestly because love covers a multitude of sins. I mean, you, you tend to not look at things as, as bad and, and you tend to, uh, you're, you're able to fix your family's failures when you are focusing on love. And then Galatians 5.13 teaches us that through love, we can serve one another. Just on the screen quickly, it says that for, for you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. And then Romans 8.37 teaches us that God's love allows us to conquer every family obstacle. I mean, listen, there are families, including mine, who have obstacles. I mean, we have things that are going on and struggles that are taking place. And we'll allude to that a little further into the message. But look what Scripture teaches. No, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless Love of God, oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it, I don't deserve it, still you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. That's where we learn all this stuff. Because it is through Him who loved us. It is his overwhelming, reckless love that causes us to say through every obstacle, through every situation, whatever comes our way. Hey, it is God's love that has taught us to love one another. No wonder 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says love is the greatest thing. And I agree. Let me give you five things, though, that we learn from 1 Corinthians 13 that people are, are, are saying and thinking and even pastors potentially believe and maybe even I portrayed in the past that these things really fix our churches more than anything else. Number one, I think 1 Corinthians 13 teaches us that some think talk will change their churches. For instance, Scripture puts it like this in verse 1, I, if I speak, if I'm so eloquent, if I'm so, if I was an awesome preacher, if I was a good message pastor, if I can do that every Sunday... If I can speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. But you know what? A lot of people don't believe that. A lot of people believe that it's all about what we say and how we talk and what we communicate. And I'm all in for good sermons. And one of the reasons why we went through a little transition and, and had some folks that that quite didn't understand because the tradition of coming, service, 
Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, revival, all that. The more we come and the more somebody speaks to us, the more we hear it, uh, you know, that, that's, what it, that's, what, that's what fixes our church. And a lot of pastors say, ah, you, you need counseling? Well, it's got to come to church. I counsel three times a week. That's loving. <laughs> I've had pastors tell me, you know, I'll tell you what, I'd be a good pastor if I didn't love, it's just, it just, I love people. That doesn't make sense. You cannot pastor without loving people. I'm so tired of preaching boys coming up to me and saying, oh, brother Eric, man, I just want to preach. Give me a pulpit. Give me a... Why don't people say, I want to love, I want to love, I want to love? Preaching is not the most important thing. Talking is not the most important thing. Loving is the most important thing. Because if all I do is get up here and talk, and I don't love you, but according to Scripture, I'm like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Because communication that is not backed up by love is not only useless, but it's counterproductive to the things that God wants to do in our church. And so therefore, we we don't have all these corporate gatherings like we used to have. It's not that we think it's even wrong. We just have found that we're busier than we've ever been. Did you hear the announcements this Sunday? Do you know what's going on? Would you like to look at my schedule? I'm not doing less. I'm actually doing more. It's just I find myself... In, in more smaller gatherings, I find myself with the opportunity to speak to the Gideons or with, to, to, with the opportunity to gather with pastors at a, at a great event that, that drew over 5,000 people at the mall a couple of weeks ago. I mean, this is amazing, and, and we're busier and doing more than we've ever done. But the way that it's coming across is with more love and a little less talk. Because I'd rather see a sermon than to hear one any day. I'd rather one should walk the walk than merely show the way. The eyes are better pupil and more willing than the ear. And fine counsel is confusing, but example is always clear. And the best of all the preachers are the ones who live their creed. For to see the good in action is what everybody needs. I can soon learn how to do it if you'll let me see it done. I can watch your hands in action, but your tongue too fast may run. And the lectures you deliver may be very wise and true, but I'd rather get my lesson by observing what you do. For I may misunderstand you and the high advice you give, but there's no misunderstanding how you act and how you live. First Corinthians 13, 2 teaches us this, that some think knowledge will change their churches. Knowledge, look at it. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. So what we need then is deeper theology, bigger words, more information, higher degrees. We need to and, and, and again, I'm not against any of this. I'm just adding this to it because it's a popular trend. Reformed theology is a popular thing these days. And, and I, don't, I don't object to someone that, that, that has that, that slant at all. But I do feel like that oftentimes with that comes arrogance. And really, I, let me tell you what I know and you don't know. Let me tell you what I found out you haven't found out. And oftentimes younger people buy into more knowledge and they lack love. And, and my, my anthem today is without love, all of that is garbage. All of that is nothing. And by the way, I've already thrown myself under the bus and said, even me, a simple preacher who's not very deep, that even my approach to you is nothing without love. And I'm for knowledge and I'm for the truth. The truth that does not produce love is useless. Champion Christian College is not trying to raise up a bunch of smart preachers that know more Bible than anybody else. We're trying to raise up some young men who love people and then can translate the word of God because they love people. Does that make sense? So knowledge is not going to fix our churches. 
And talk isn't going to fix our churches. And some think faith will change their church. And verse 2 says, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains. Wow. That's a lot of faith. I mean, faith is big time. Doesn't scripture say that without faith it's impossible to please God? It sure does. I mean, I'm not demeaning faith at all. I, I think faith is big, but you can have all the faith in the world. But if you don't have love, what does the scripture say? I can have all faith so as to remove, remove mountains. But have, if I have not love, I am nothing. Nothing. I mean, if I would have been writing this, I would, I would have put that a little nicer. When God says, no, no, let's just, let's just put it out there. You're, you're, you're garbage. You're nothing. You're zero. Don't tell me about your spirituality. Don't throw your religion down your kid's throat. Because they'll leave when they're 18. See, all your faith is useless if it's not backed up by love. This is what I'm learning. This is what I've come to after 25 years. Faith by itself is nothing. Number four. Something compassion will change their church. Notice it says here, if I give away all I have. Wow, that's, that's incredible. In fact, uh, some translations say if I give all I have to the poor. I mean, th- that's, that's incredible. In fact, my daughter and I went to a Mandisa concert. I told this to the Gideons and we, you know, we signed up to give. $35 a month to a young lady. Cindy Karina was her name. And, and, and we've been giving that $35 now for probably six, seven years faithfully. We're watching her grow up. We get her letters every month. We write her back. Well, my daughter does. I mean, it's a great relationship. And so we are doing that. We're giving to her this check every month. And, you know, we feel good about it. You know, you put that check in and you sort of get that proud feel that you... But, but Jesus says, wait a minute. You can give, Eric. The Gideons gave $515,000, Arkansas Gideons, to buy Bibles. But according to Scripture, as amazing as that is, if we do, if we do that without love, if we give everything we have, but, but we're just giving it maybe for popularity or giving it for recognition, but not giving it because we truly love people and we want them to experience the love of God. But one thing I noticed about my brother Brent here is as he spoke on Friday night three different times, he began to weep. And as soon as I saw those, those tears in that cracked voice, I said, that's, that's my guy. I can get behind this. It's not just about money. It's about changed lives. It's about people that need Jesus. Champion Community Center is pretty awesome, isn't it? We're all excited about the building. Everybody's talking about the building. Man, that's a cool building. It's got four gymnasiums. Man, glad you guys got that building. I heard it's got ping pong tables and pool tables and computers and you got a gym. Man, you guys, uh, this could be awesome. You got a building for those kids. We don't need a building. We need mentors to love those kids. Look, Champion Community Center, two and a half million dollar gift that we just signed yesterday. I just signed, excuse me, Friday. Got the keys. I mean, I have the keys. I can get in now. And Jacob Porter did a masterful job of, of cleaning all the property up. And man, we're about to go in and, and, and really do some work and ask you to help us. And, but can I tell you what's needed more than anything is not a building, but it's people to love the kids. It's people to work with the kids. It's people to, to, to say, look, you're valuable and you're worth something. And while mom and dad are using drugs, we're going to say, no, no, no. Hey, what's most important is that you know God loves you. 
Some think giving all of our lives will change their church. Look at the next. And I, if I deliver up my body to be burned, this is literal. This means, okay, if you actually die, you, you do so much good that you give your life, you die, you, you work yourself to death, you, 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 you give yourself in martyrdom for your cause. Even then, if you have not love, Scripture says you gain nothing. You see, this love thing is the greatest thing. It's got to be the DNA of our church, loving without condition. So, so let me give you some reasons why love should be the DNA of our church. I hope, I hope I can say it like this. Why love is the DNA of our church. Number one, love is powerful. Love is powerful. It's powerful. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, it is so powerful that it never fails. Do you see that? Three words. It never fails. It never ends. That's love. That's how powerful love is. It never fails to what, you may ask. Well, what do you mean it never fails? Never fails to what? Never fails to everything. Everything. Fill in the blank. Love never fails to win back the heart of a person who has grown cold and hard. Love never fails to bring a stubborn child back into the fold. Love never fails to influence and and, 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 okay, I love that song, that reckless love of God, where he left the 99 to go get the one. Some of us today, we need to leave our little comfort zones and go out into the highways and byways of our community. And, and, and those that have left our flock, let's go bring them back with love. Because love never fails to do that. Love never fails. This is the love of God. It's power. Number two, love is protection. It's protection. It's powerful in its protection. Look, if you would, please, at 1 John now. We're going to leave 1 Corinthians 13, and I want to show you what I believe to be the rival love chapter now. And that's 1 Corinthians chapter, or rather 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 11. For this is the message that we have heard from the beginning. First thing I learned right there is I learned this is not a new message. This is the message we've heard from the beginning. I mean, this, is, this goes way back. This isn't just some new fad that I'm presenting to the church. No, this is something maybe we've missed or you've missed or I've missed. It's a new message. Jesus said in the book of John, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. New commandment meaning what? It means no more eye for an eye, no more tooth for a tooth. Hey, we're talking about a different level of love. This is a love that goes the second mile. This is a love that gives away your coat. This is a love that turns the other cheek. This is the love of Jesus. So don't miss this message. This is a new message you've heard from the beginning that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain. Who was Cain? Cain was the one who murdered his brother in that very first family. In the very first family, Adam and Eve... Cain, one of their sons, kills another one of their sons, murders him. He was of the evil one. Who is the evil one? Satan himself is the evil one. We're going to talk about that in just just a moment. So hang tight here as as we discover what is the difference between hate and love and hate and even murder. And murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? I was kind of wondering that. So I'm glad scripture asked the question and answered it. It says, because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. 
God wants us to know that about this world. God says, listen, the world's not going to understand your love. In fact, they will hate you for it. Doesn't make any sense. I don't get it. Why, why do they hate me? I, I love them. I want to help them. Why are they slamming the door in my face? I've got the good news. Why, why are we being rejected? Why are Christians being shut up? Why are we made to look like the bad guy? While maybe Islam, the religion of hate, seems to be uplifted. What, what's going on here? What's happening? And we, we say, what, what's going on? Why? Why did he murder him? We ask those questions ourselves. Why? Why is this happening to Christianity? Because they don't understand it. They can't fathom it. They don't get it. They're of the evil one. And they need to be opened to the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ through the love of a brother who doesn't hate back, but loves back. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. That's what it says. Don't be shocked if the world hates you. You see, the evil one wants to destroy your family. The evil one wants to destroy our church. He shattered the first family in the garden and he wants to shatter your family and he wants to shatter this church family. We know that because of 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 where the scripture says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around every pew. Every pew, every small group, everywhere he can find a way like a roaring lion to seek somebody to devour. That's the devil for you. That's his mission. That's his goal. So so how does this work? How do we stand up against the devil? How do we stand up against the evil one, the canes of this world? Well, all too often I find that people think you stand up like this. You know, Let me tell you what I think. You turn or burn. Hell won't be hot enough for you. I see t-shirts sometimes that I'm like, dude, Please don't tell people you're a Christian. That's not my God. That t-shirt is mean-spirited and ugly. And we used to call folks of other sexual orientations by names that, that were ugly and, and, and mean-spirited. And I actually heard one preacher one day say we ought to hang people like that on the courthouse square. I heard that. I heard that with my own ears. I mean, I was there. I heard him say that and I thought, oh, God. I hope nobody hears of that persuasion because that is not what you think. And yet I'm in this movement, I'm in this organization that is is teaching that dogma. And yet God says, no, no, no. God's way is love and return of hate. God's way is turn the other cheek. God's way is go the second mile. You see, we avoid the life of Cain and we are choosing the way of love and we experience God's protection over our church and God's covering over our church family when we return love for hate. Love is protection. Love is proof. Love is proof, number three. Love is big time proof. In fact, look at the way verse 14 Puts it, I love this. It says, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. We know we've passed from death to life. I was at the Gideon's prayer, pastor's prayer, a pastor's breakfast, a pastor's dinner. Sorry, I'll get it right. The pastor's banquet. Thank you. So I'm sitting at this table with these Gideons. In fact, I didn't realize that I was sitting with those two guys actually had a, a prayed, had a part in the service. It was pretty cool. 
And uh, I was talking to these guys, and, and, and we didn't know them from Adam. We didn't know who these guys were. I mean, they're just, you know, so we sit down, and, you know, it can be awkward, right, at first. I mean, you, you don't know who these people are, so you sit down, and, you know, everybody's kind of quiet. And who's going to speak first? And so I just said, you know, well, it's good to meet some brothers. And they kind of looked at me, and I said, you know, I mean, hey, you're saved, right? And they, yeah, I'm, I'm saved. I said, well, I'm saved, too. I said, you know, that makes us brothers. I said, this is going to be a great night. I'm hanging out with my brothers. You see, that's what we are. It doesn't matter what denomination. It doesn't, doesn't matter uh, about certain persuasions and leanings. And, and other than the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the virgin birth, uh, the, the, those things. I mean, those, those obvious, unarguable, undeniable facts. The truth of the matter is there's a lot of gray area in some other areas. And yet they're still my brothers. And I learned to love them because love is proof that I'm a Christian. I've made a long-term commitment to you to love you through thick and thin. That's why I, listen, the average pastor stays two and a half years. That's like ridiculous. How do you do that? What, what, what do you mean you say two and a half years? You're giving up on your church in two and a half years. Well, we had some problems. Well, who cares? Every church has problems. Every family has problems. Every relationship has problems. You don't quit. You don't walk away. You stay through the ups and downs. You stay through the good times and the bad times. You make it through. Listen, people who make those types of commitments are proving something. You're proving you truly have been saved, according to this passage, verse 14. We live by love and not by hatred. Look at verse 15. It says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. You ever thought about that? And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Well, pastor, listen, I, what do you mean? So, so if I hate someone, and I got a few people that I feel kind of maybe borderline hate. I mean, I don't want him. I'm not going to kill him, pastor. It's not that bad. But, you know, I mean, if I wouldn't go to prison, I would. What you, when you hate someone, that's what you're saying. You're saying, I wish they were dead. I'm not going to do it. I just wish they were. God says, what's the If you hate them that way, you've murdered them already. See, see, God's not always looking at what you do. God's looking at who you are and what you think. There should be no one in this earth that you hate, period. No one. God doesn't call us to hate even our enemies. God says to love them as well. And then we go on to see that this persevering, unstoppable, agape love is proof that you really know the Savior. Look at verse 16 as we walk down through the text here. Just great timing. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So we learn here that we are to be growing in our love. Let me quickly give you three ways to grow in your love for others. Number one. Do you love more people than you have ever loved before? That's cool, isn't it? Think about that for just a minute. You know what I can say now, today? You know what I can say, church family? That I love more preachers in hot springs than I've ever loved before. I love them. I love more Christians in hot springs than I've ever loved before. I actually found it easier in my religion that I was in, my denominational religion. I found it more easy to love lost people than saved people. I mean, I was one of those guys, you know. You ever, you've heard of that, right? Christians are quicker to kill their own than anybody else, you know. 
You know what I've learned? God's taught me to love more preachers. I'm like, this is so cool. I've got, I don't have to fly to, you know, North Carolina to have friends. I can like drive across town now. <laughs> you say, yeah, but they're Pentecost. Well, who cares? When did, when did we start caring about that? They, they love Jesus. They're born again. You see what I'm saying? So I, I want to love them. This is who God is making me, but I, I, I don't believe that, 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 that I could pastor a church or that you should attend a church that doesn't believe that. This is our church's DNA. So learn to love more people. Who, who can you, who, how can you, incre- you, you increase that number? Well, maybe people on your street. Maybe neighbors. Maybe, maybe family. Maybe husbands start loving your mother-in-laws. You know, that would increase... Uh, Love more people. Other brethren that do not believe exactly like you do. Number two, do you love more different people than you've ever loved before? The racial uh, and cultural diversity of our church needs to continue to grow. Amen? Don't you love that about our church? I mean, this is not like, you know, hey, I go to the black church. I go to the white church. I go to the rich church. I go to the poor church. I go to the Dillard's church. I go to the Walmart church. I go to the Dollar General church. (laughs) We're just a hodgepodge, amen? We might have a few Dillard's guys here. We might have a few Walmarts and Dollar Store. We got even some pawn shop folks here. We got some, what do you call that, thrift store. Who gives a rip? It doesn't matter what you wear. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you look like. Hey, you're welcome here. I love the fostering ministry of our church. Jeff and Courtney Manthe this week received their first two children since we started our foster ministry. They've been approved as well as others are being approved. And, and it's amazing what God is doing. And God's brought these children to our church. And, and, and there's challenges that go along with that. And there's going to be things that they do to get adjusted. And their church family then, if it's successful, wraps its arm around this family. These two children were dropped off with nothing, nothing, zero, goose egg, not a suitcase, not a bag, nothing, no underwear, nothing. And all of a sudden, here comes a church coming and saying, hey, listen, no questions asked. We're not worried about anything. We don't need to know their background. I mean, listen, I know a church recently that, 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 that is struggling with this because of the differences in the children and what, what, what's going to happen. And if they go to Sunday school with these kids and these are the normal ones and these are the apps, what are you talking about? They're kids. You're actually saying, God, put a millstone around my neck and cast me into the sea. You ain't coming up, bro you got to love kids, love children of all kinds. What about my kid? I mean, you know, it's, we have a handicapped child that takes its clothes off sometimes in front of people. It's the most embarrassing thing ever. Ah, you know, he's stripping down. The pastor's kid's a streaker. <laughs> we need to do something about that. Maybe it's time for him to go, you know, Gloria. She used to bite your kids. There are kids in our church now that could say, I've been bit by Glory Ann. And it was, it was horrible. We would go home and think, oh my goodness, this, the church is going to hate our guts. And you kept loving us. I think. <laughs> I mean, I would have blamed you if you talked about us at lunch. I would have thought that was probably, you know, at least they're just talking about us, you know. But you loved us through it. And now we're at a different stage. She's not biting, but she sometimes takes her clothes off. And we don't know why. And it's crazy and it's strange and it's weird. And we're like, we wish it was somebody else. But it's not. It's like the pastor's kid. 
And so we're dealing with this, but, but you're loving us through it. And there's going to be other families in our church now that are going to be dealing with things and we're going to love them and support them and help them and welcome them because we know that we're not assessing people here. We welcome without judgment. We love without condition. Number one, do you love over longer periods of time? Think about that. People move on so quickly in relationships and marriage and church. church. In fact, if a pastor stays two and a half years, I've heard oftentimes members stay, I think the average is a little longer than two and a half. It's like three and a half. So you're doing better than pastors. But, but, but members are moving too. They're church hopping. They're going here, there. And it's, it's just amazing that we give up on our churches. We give up on our people, our friends. We, we walk away. Stick it out. The love of Christ loves forever. And then love is practical. Number four, and I'm almost done. Love is practical. It's not, it's not pie in the sky. You know what I mean? It's real. It's just real. It just meets you right where you're at. Look at verse 17. I'll, t- I'll, t- I'll, t- I'll teach you here through the scriptures. It says, but if anyone has this world's goods. All right, let's stop right now and see how many, how many people in here have this world's goods. I didn't say, you, you know, you had a lot of money in the stock market. I didn't say you drive a fancy car. You just, you know, may, maybe that, that means you. You get from point A to point B. You're going to eat after church. Uh, you know, you're, you're paying your bills. You, maybe you have a job. I mean, you've got some things. You, you, you're not completely, I mean, you know, it, it, who's got some world's goods? Raise your hand. You would be with me on that. Okay. I, that should be almost everybody. There may be a couple of folks that would say, man, I got nothing. So if you got this world's goods, God says, let me show you what people that love do. If anyone has this world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in that dude? God says, explain that to me. How, how do you, you got, you got, you got it. You've been given it. And you're walking down Grand Avenue and here's a guy that has a need. Maybe it's a dollar. Maybe he's. You know, I had somebody come up to me before church and say, hey, I need a little gas money to get. Well, yeah, well how do you know they're going to use it for gas? And you've got all your criteria and you've got your application with 73 questions before you'll give them a dollar. Or you, you could just open your heart. Save the paper and the time and just slip them a buck. And just know that you know, it's not important at this point what they do with the dollar. It'd be different if I was giving them 100 or 150. Maybe I, I'd be more concerned about, you know, okay, let me go with you to the electric company. Let me go with you. But, but, but you know, I mean, a lot of things I think God just is testing to see if we really are, really do love people. A pastor one time came to church dressed as a homeless person, sat on the front stairs of his church 30 minutes before church. Not one person in his church stopped to say a word, to help him, to even invite him inside. After the last person walked in, he took his costume off, walked in the pulpit, and preached on that verse. And I'd like to think that wouldn't happen here. I'd like to think the first person that saw that person would be sitting down next to him on the stairs saying, what can we do to help? Why don't you come to church with me? We'll talk about what we can do after. We'll meet the pastor. Come on now. I'd like to think that. 
But see, this is what Scripture is teaching us here. There's, there's such a message here that love is practical, and it's pretty obvious. And the illustration here is not really complicated. It's just if you see somebody, and they have a need, and you've got it, help them. We need to look for every available opportunity to not just love in word and tongue, but in deed and truth. Back it up. Action. Therefore, the critical question is not, do you love others? The critical question is, do they feel loved? See, sometimes I think we want to get off easy. Well, I, I tell my wife I love her. She hears it. I, I love you, honey. Back it up, bro. Do, do, do the dishes. I know. Come on, preacher. I don't love her that much. I know. That's, a, that's exactly my point. <laughs> your, your love is what? Say it. It's conditional. I mean, I, I love her, but you know, I'm not, I'm not going to do this, and I'm not going to do that. And that's her job, and that's my job. And, that, and all of a sudden, we, we got all this negotiating we're doing, and we're assessing things, and we're determining how far our love will go. Oh, no, 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 that's not God's love. It's pretty simple. Are you getting through? That's why I love our small groups and our fellowships and our time together, because... I can't do it all. I, I can't meet all the felt needs of our church, but our small groups can do a lot better job. And that's why I encourage people to get in a small group because it's amazing. You know, Jeff and Courtney were telling me what their small group is doing to help them. And there's other small groups helping them and there's other people in the church helping. But since they were given these two boys, their small group has like just been like, I mean, like home run. Like the ball is going over the field because... <laughs> They got a little small family within this big corporate family that's like making sure they're okay. And then we're finding out about it. We're like, what can we do? Does that make sense? Isn't that cool? That's like overwhelming. And then love is productive. Love is getting stuff done. It's just getting stuff done. And you know, in the first service, I did not have time to develop that, this. And I think it was of God. And I'm not going to develop it here. I am going to show you how to develop it in your small group this week, though. Because this really is pretty incredible. Now, the reason why is I, I, this morning I read it and I thought, oh, there's too much here. This is like an entire sermon. But let me read you the, the text within the text that says love is productive. Love gets stuff done. Let's begin reading in verse 19 real quick here. And then you can take it past this and, and maybe even this afternoon with your family. By this we shall know that we are of the truth... And reassure our heart before him. Now, wait a minute. Remember, he just said, little children, let us love in word or talk. Not, rather, not just love in word or talk, but indeed in truth. Remember, he just said that. So he says, so by that, by loving in, 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 in truth, by loving indeed, we're going to know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whoever our heart condemns us, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. Does your heart ever condemns you? Have you ever heard that nasty old devil say you're not a, you're, you're a loser Christian? You say you're a member of that church. You say you go to that small. And look, you don't even do this and you don't do that. And you thought that bad thought and you're worthless and your heart condemns you. And then God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. We remind ourselves of the overwhelming love of God. And you know what? I don't love like I should. And sometimes I do have bad thoughts and I'm not what I, what I should be, but I'm not what I used to be. 
I'm in that song that Jordan wrote. I'm in that sanctification process. I'm getting better, but it's taking a while because I'm a hard case. Amen. I'm a rough unit. But I, I'm, I'm learning. I'm getting there. And my heart condemns me. And I say back to the, to the, to the evil one, listen, God, God loves me. And God's patient with me. And he's merciful to me. And he's kind to me. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because he keeps his commandments and do what pleases him. So here it is. Ready? Here's why it's productive. Because in this passage, we find that the more we love, the more confidence we have. The more confidence we have, the more we pray. The more we pray, the more we get answers to prayer. The more we get answers to prayer, the more we want to live for God. And all that's because of love. Love gets it done. Love is the fuel that for everything in the church. Everything. Everything runs by love. Every ministry, every service, every song, every handshake, every sir, everything is fueled by love. Everything. Or it's nothing. And then love, and I'm, I'm done. On time and early. And this is great for our Gideon presentation because I really want you to get into it. I'll close with this. Two minutes. Love is priority. Number one. I really should have put that. So add that to it. Put love as priority, fill in, and then put number one. Because it is. Love is priority number one. Look at what scripture says in verse 23. And this is his commandment. That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. So let's stop right there for just a moment. I don't know. There may be someone here today that has never believed in the name of the Son of Jesus, God's Son, Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never accepted Christ. And if you are here like that, then honestly, I would probably not even worry about the rest of the message or the rest of the verse. I would stop right there and say, wow, that's, that's why I'm here. I'm here because God wants to save me. He wants me to have a relationship with him. And this emptiness, this revolver that is these thoughts it's, it's, it's the God's word. It's, it's Jesus. And, and here's the revolver. And I want to be saved. I mean, that story was for you. And you're here today. And you're the one that God is going to save today. And, 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 and there's, there's stories about Gideon Bibles. And then there's stories about tracks. And there's even stories about, hey, come visit me. I'd love to have you come to church. It doesn't matter the tool that God uses. It's the fact that you're here and you don't know Jesus. And he wants to save you today. So if you're not saved, in just a moment, when we give this invitation, I want to invite you to come and receive Christ. That's why we're going to be up front, Butch and I, and one of our elders and myself, and, and we're going to welcome you. And then maybe you are a Christian. How many of you would say, well, I know Jesus Christ. I have been saved. Would you raise your hand? You know that for sure. That's many. That's most of us. Okay, well, let's look at the rest of the verse then. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Just as he commanded us. So, 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 so that's it. So receive Jesus and love people. Love God, love people. That's pretty easy. Man, I've been complicating this thing. I have too. Man, I've been making this about a whole lot more stuff. Yeah, I did too. Man, I've been talking to people about stuff. You know, well, if you go to our church, you got to do this, you got to do that, and you got to do this, you got to wear that, and you got to be this, and you got to do that, and... You mean none of that's important? No. Love God, love people. That's the DNA. That's it. Welcome people and love them. All that other stuff, it'll come. It'll come as they grow. 
It'll come as they learn to love people like God loves them. Love is priority number one. Number one. That's what brings people to Jesus. So all this other stuff, it's not that it's not important. It's just not nearly as important as love. In fact, it's that if we put it before love, it's useless. Is there anything wrong with having a PhD? Nothing at all. But if that's what you're using to be spiritual and to be positional in our church, then you're missing it. It's not that. It's L-O-V-E. It's love. Every head bowed, every eye closed. That's what people need. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. We seem to go about this city loving people, loving them to Jesus. It's amazing to me how when you follow the life of Christ, you don't see condemnation. The only time you see harshness is towards Pharisees, religious people. You just see Jesus loving people, strategically loving them. Doesn't matter what they've done, who they are. It's crazy. Man, my wife and I walked to the Gideon's meeting the other day. We just parked our car downtown and we held hands and walked all the way to the meeting. And man, the things you see downtown Hot Springs scared us half to death. My wife got so scared because some guy just screamed at us. Ah! I thought, the maniac of Gadara right here. She freaked out. I said, honey, we don't know his story. He's probably just left a bad drug deal and he's just as high as a kite and he just needs us to love him. It's just, isn't that scary? Yeah, it's a little scary. But that's okay. Because love conquers all. Perfect love casts out fear. And so let's just love people. And I think if we learn to, to love people with, without condition and welcome people without judgment, the church house fills up four or five times on Sundays. And I'm willing to preach four or five times. I really am, I promise. I'm good with it. Let's just pray that God will help us to reach more people as we develop the DNA of our church. Father.